We all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Hello and welcome back to Speaking of Fire. This is your host, Michael Slatman. I'm a, honored to be a past president of the International Association of Arson Investigators. I have over 46 years experience in fire investigations and still out there working. I'm an expert and I own a Fire Consulting International and a manager of CFIS, which is Consolidated Fire Investigation Services. And this is Donna Ingram. I'm a past uh, director of the International Association of Arson Investigators. Uh, just got to 30 years in fire and fraud, and I'm out working too. And welcome to Speaking of Fire. Well, thank you. Thank you, dear. And uh, here we are. Guess what? We have a wonderful, this is a wonderful guest today. He's uh, my brother from a different mother. David J. Ikov, Ph.D., Dr. Ikov, uh, he's also a P.E. Um, he has he's an underwriter's laboratory professor of practice, and he's internationally recognized for, uh, forensic fire engineer, uh, engineering expert with 40, over 40 years of experience. And he's a co-author of leading textbooks on fire investigations, Kurt's Fire Investigation, Forensic Fire Scene Reconstruction, and Combating Arson for Profit. He served four decades as a criminal investigator on the federal, state, and local levels. He's also a registered professional engineer and board-certified diplomat in the National Academy of Forensic Engineers. Well, he was also um, an employee of the FBI, and and he was in their uh, fields at BS and master's degree, by the way, in electrical engineering as a PhD. But while he was a an FBI uh, agent, uh, he was a criminal profiler, and he led to the development of present-day motive classification for arson, which is based on case studies and lengthy prison interviews of convicted arsonists. He also serves as a principal member of the National Fire Protection Association's Technical Committee on Fire Investigations, otherwise known as NFPA 921, the committee that oversees the standards in, of care in the field. Dr. Ikov, David, hello and welcome, and thank you for being on our show. Thank you. It's wonderful. Thank you. Now, you've been on our show before, and, we, and, and, uh, and so we're not going to go a lot of the old questions about, uh, that we asked you before, but um, I do want to let you give an opportunity to, to tell, the, um, tell the listening audience, which is worldwide, how did you become interested in in fire investigations at all I mean I know that uh, I mean you were I mean did you set fires when you were three years old or something no in fact uh, how I really got interested was through the Boy Scouts and uh, when I was 13 I went to the local fire department in in Shaker Heights Ohio and uh, uh, went to get my exam uh, examination for my fire prevention merit badge uh, when I got there, the uh, fire chief said, you need to talk to the fire marshal. He's out in the back doing uh, flame height tests. And this is in the early 60s uh, when, uh, when flame height tests were being done by uh, advanced uh, fire protection engineers uh, and, and researchers. So I went back there. I helped him collect his data. And then he mentored me. And he said, uh, 
uh, if you're interested in fire investigations, the only pathway, the best pathway, is to become a fire protection engineer. And so over the years, I, I, uh, I adhered to his sage advice and, uh, and became a fire protection engineer and then uh, went into the fire investigations field. So uh, in a nutshell, uh, that's why I'm here. Well, I'm sure glad you, you came on board because you've written such many authoritative texts um, and with co-authors, of course, and uh, and you've you've uh, you were nice enough uh, to also include me in the peer review of uh, Kirk's eight um, Kirk's eight, which is what we want to talk about today. Kirk's fire investigations, the eighth edition. So um, why don't you just kind of tell us what Kirk's eight is? Uh, Kirk's Eight is the eighth edition of a uh, of a textbook that was originally written by uh, Paul Leland Kirk, and uh, it was the first text, uh, authoritative text in its field uh, from a forensic standpoint. Uh, and it uh, went through the years. Uh, John DeHaan picked it up, and then he and I co-authored uh, the the seventh edition. And then upon his retirement, he uh, he passed the reins to to myself and. Uh, and uh, Gerald Haynes, and we uh, have now uh, published the uh, the eighth edition. The eighth edition is sort of a uh, is is now in in close concordance with uh, NFPA 921 and NFPA 1033, but it also combines the best between the t- the original textbooks of the seventh edition of Kirk's Fire Investigation and the third edition of Forensic Fire Scene Reconstruction, and. Uh, Kirk's, uh, the textbook alone has been regarded uh, over the years as the primary textbook and expert treatise in the field of fire investigation. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm honored to be a, be a part of the, uh, of the evolution of that text and, uh, and, uh, and look forward to, uh, to uh, editions down the road of it. I have a couple of questions for you. One is, uh, where did the name Kirk's Fire Investigations originate? Well, it came from uh, Paul Kirk, uh, who, as I indicated, was the original author. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was at the uh, University of California, Berkeley, and uh, the original fire uh, text was just entitled Fire Investigations. So when uh, Dr. DeHaan uh, picked up the reins from... Uh, uh, from the publisher, he went ahead and labeled the textbook uh, Kirk's Fire Investigation. Okay. Just the same way you would do uh, Gray's Anatomy. Right. Uh, <laughs> <have> a... <laughs> gotcha. Not the TV show. Okay. No. Right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, and also, uh, this one has a dedication. Who's it dedicated to? It's dedicated to uh, Dr. Vito Babraskis. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Vito uh, was the first uh, f- uh, fire protection engineer to be ever awarded a Ph.D. degree, and uh, and he was uh, uh, at the University of California Berkeley. Also, uh, he's he's contributed immensely to the field of fire and arson investigation, and uh, and we thought that uh, he should be honored by uh, this dedication. Absolutely, and I wanted to. I think Vito would be very uh, um, happy about that. And he, of course, is uh, the Ignition Handbook is uh, is a, a book that uh, I think if you're going to have in your library, you're going to have to have Kirk's eight eight edition here. Uh, you've got to have uh, Vito's book on the Ignition Handbook, 
And you also need to have, uh, of course, NFPA uh, 1033, which is the professional standard for fire investigators, and uh, NFPA 921. And if you don't have those books, then you don't you don't be serving as a fire investigator, not in this country, um, as you will, uh, I think, verify with me, doc, uh, doctor and my brother, uh, the fire investigations is becoming even more uh, dependent on our understanding, the fire investigator's understanding of scientific principles and being able to present them in, in courts of law. That's correct. And the, these are the, uh, the hallmark features uh, uh, that now are appearing in our, uh, in our training, in our testimony, and in our research. And, and so, oh, anyway, about this, so, so who is this uh, textbook intended? Who, who are you supposed to, who's your audience? Who are you trying to get to here? Well, we tried to write a textbook that would uh, fill a broad range of consumers, but from both the public and the private sector. So whether or not there are individuals in the investigative field, uh, forensic science, engineering, and even the judicial and prosecutorial uh, sectors. So uh, we thought that we should, uh, we should write a text that would fill all of the needs as well as meet the, uh, meet the expectations of the National Fire Academy's uh, FACI matrix and also uh, in being compliance uh, as, as close as possible to uh, NFPA 921 and 1033. Right, 1033 has um, those 16 things that are prerequisites, uh, knowledge and background, uh, uh, and um, those 16 things um, are covered in this, in this uh, volume, which is of great help to uh, the fire investigators um, uh, Increasing knowledge and the research, and um, oh, I, I'm so so sorry that uh, that Gerald Haynes couldn't make it too, because um, I was of course gonna, uh, I know him, and I was go- gonna say, well, um, did did you have David Ico do all the work, or did you contribute anything to this? And that's what I was gonna <laughs> ask him and see. And now he's not here for me to victimize him. So well, he. Uh, he uh, amply uh, provided uh, uh, assistance and, and research, and, and it just, it, it's no one person could have undertaken this textbook. Uh, the other thing that Kirk 8 covers are the, uh, there are 28 separate job performance requirements, uh, JPRs, that uh, NFPA 1033 sets forth. So every single one of those 28 JPRs are covered in detail in the book. So they're even, uh, they're even uh, laid out as in the table form. So um, it, it takes the reader uh, through the process uh, for an investigation from start to finish. Can you elaborate a little bit on that as far as for the readers, how they well, can for, locate that? Yeah, for example, one of the JPRs is to secure the fire scene. So that's easy to say, but there basically there are six to eight uh, elements of how to uh, adequately and legally secure a fire scene. So uh, those are addressed, uh, and it's covered in the table by itself as one of the 28 uh, JPRs. It also uh, it also indicates to the uh, to the investigator what tools and techniques that they need to have available, what documentation is required, and also it uh, it double backs to um, uh, which citation from 10:33 and 9:21 uh, appears in that area. So it's it's a duly uh, uh, cross reference uh, between the the two standards, 
and uh, as well as lays out what the JPRs should be. And I'm I'm imagining, as it always has, it fills in some gaps with with that also between the two. Oh, it definitely does. It, uh, it like I said, it was it was designed to be a standalone uh, text, but it also was designed to uh, meet the requirements, the study requirements uh, for those uh, individuals who are look for promotional exams uh, that uh, want to attain their uh, certified fire investigator. Uh, 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 qualifications with uh, through the IWI and also for the uh, CFEI through NAFI. Um, uh, it, it was meant for that, but also it, it was it. We wanted to make sure that it met the standards for the model curriculum set forth by the uh, uh, Fire Emergency uh, Service Higher Education Group called FESHI, and FESHI is who basically drives the train. Uh, for the National Fire Academy. So we wanted to make sure that we addressed all the standards of care, whether they be from uh, NFPA 921 or 1033, uh, the ASTM standards, as well as the uh, the FESHI matrix for training. You know, I'm really glad that you're bringing that up because a lot of fire investigators don't even realize that ASTM standards, uh, first of all, that FESHI exists, and, and secondly, that um, ASTM standards uh, are applicable to our um, job. Also, I'm looking at it from, I'm a consultant, um, you know, I'm a fire investigator and a consultant in a lot of um, litigation, and I know you are too, and um, and we've testified all over the place, but, you know, you're writing this book as filling in a lot of gaps that we used to beat people up for, for not knowing what they're doing. So what are you trying to do? Get us out of business? Is that the idea? <laughs> No, um, I've seen several court cases. In fact, uh, the cases that I've testified in where somebody says, uh, you have this opinion, can you tell me in what expert treatise that this uh, typical scenario is cited? Right. And so what we've tried to do is cover all the bases. And uh, and the majority of the work uh, from addition to addition is basically uh, covers updating the references. So we not only to provide you with the scenarios, but also uh, where those uh, incidents may have been reported, and also the most authoritative and up-to-date uh, uh, reference materials that you can that you can further uh, refer to. And before either of you go on, I want to clarify for the listening audience: when they said, "as prior law enforcement beat people up," they meant verbally. <laughs> Oh, yes, <laughs> and yes. soliciting information. You can't say things like that nowadays. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, you, are, are, you, are you at all concerned that attorneys are going to read your, uh, your uh, treatise here and your, your text and learn something? I insist that they, uh, that, they, uh, that they read it. In fact, that's why the, uh, the peer review of the textbook was so important to make sure that it met uh, – of the needs of uh, both the public and private sector, and including the uh, uh, the attorneys and the judicial system. That's great. And because really, fr- frankly, and I know I've been joking about it, but there's way too many people out there that are not following the proper uh, methodology, uh, scientific method, and, and they're not understanding uh, that there are a lot of um, requirements that they're not meeting. And I think uh, uh, 1033 uh, is is moving in that direction. Uh, they added the, the last three uh, for the original 13. Um, and so now we have 16 uh, areas in which the 
a fire investigator must be uh, uh, beyond a high school level, secondary education uh, familiar with and staying cur- um, current with. And this volume here uh, is one of those uh, ways to stay current. Isn't that correct? That's correct. And some of the other reference materials that we have uh, uh, that we commonly uh, endorse is the CFI trainer. And uh, mm-hmm. that always supplements the uh, the additions that we have. You have to realize that uh, we're in like a three-year cycle or four-year cycle, the same way that NFPA uh, 921 and 1033 is. Uh, so it's important to be able to supplement uh, uh, the information and the fact scenarios that are that are presented. Uh, an interesting note, though, is is that uh, Kirk's fire investigation, especially Kirk's eight. Um, basically outpaces uh, some of the standards. So basically uh, what you may see and now in uh, Kirk 8 uh, may take two or three years to, through the cycles to basically appear in NFPA 921. So um, the benefit of, of looking at Kirk's fire investigation is that it basically uh, extends the, the, the concept of general acceptance in the field. So uh, when somebody says, well, this doesn't appear yet in 921, but it does appear in Kirk's, uh, it passes the general acceptance test, especially with peer review. And, uh, and Kirk's is uh, one of the uh, few textbooks in the fire investigation field that's, uh, that's uh, cited again and again by the court system as an expert treatise. Yeah, you know what? I, I was I was very impressed at the, with the exception of myself, of the number of very intelligent uh, peer reviewers you had uh, in this uh, volume, and um, and again, I, I I appreciate your uh, your allowing me to be part of that. But um, so this peer review document is, I mean, this text is uh, is. I, well, I put it out on my, my uh, LinkedIn website that I think it's vital. It's critical to be owned by fire investigators throughout the country, and frankly, uh, attorneys need to, to have one too. Um, now, and saying that, of course, now I open the fire investigators up to criticism by not knowing this. So, um, I, I mean, knowing these different, uh, like the JPRs, uh, you, you know, if they don't even know that there's 28 of them, uh, and then they don't know what each one is, uh, how it breaks down. So, you have, you, this is a vital text, and um, I'm hoping that you'll, uh, are, you, do you, are your plans that you continue to do it on the three-year cycle, you and, and uh, Gerald Haynes? Right. In fact, uh, it's sort of uh, interesting in the field uh, for anybody who's an author is that the day that the text comes out, uh, you already start uh, rewriting the next edition. So, uh, so we're, we're actively now collecting uh, input. And in fact, uh, Kirk's fire investigation is a text that's uh, unlike anything else, is that we solicit openly uh, input and case studies as well as uh, photographs and uh, diagrams uh, from the fire investigation field, and that's how we get a lot of our resource materials uh, come through that uh, that mode. So, uh, just about anybody uh, can be uh, can be listed as a contributor, and that's why that list is so long. And, and as far as the peer review and the contributions, is that uh, uh, constantly we're we're drawn uh, to uh, to get better photographs, to get better uh, scenarios, to be- get better case studies, and they come from our readers which is uh, so, so important. Right. Well, let me ask you a question because we haven't covered this. Uh, how does, how does uh, one obtain 
Kirk's eight? How do you get it? Well, there's. Um, uh, I'm still waiting for my copies to show up, but um, <laughs> um, th- there are there are two good ways to get it, and uh, the one that I like the best is the is the Kindle version, uh, which comes through Amazon. Uh, there's an ebook version, which is uh, much less expensive than the print version uh, that's being sold on Amazon. And um, uh, the Kindle version allows you to um, install and, uh, and electronically search the text, and you can use it up onto two computers, including iPads. You could put it on your iPhone if you needed to. And that's the, uh, that's the way, rather than uh, carry... Uh, numerous books in the back of your car, we're in a situation now in the electronic age that you can have it sitting by you at the scene and be able to refer to it, uh, especially if you had an iPad or any type of other electronic book reader. So that's the exciting part of this, uh, uh, this, this field, is, is that we can actually take the expertise with us to the field and refer to it rather than uh, relinquish a fire scene and then two days later think, you know, Maybe I should have referred to this text, or maybe I should have looked up this scenario. Uh, so that's the yeah. beauty of what we have. I caught some crit- I caught some criticism by telling people that they should take 1033 and 921 to fire scenes with them. I got a little bit of criticism on LinkedIn about that, but I, I still believe that. And I think this is even better because you can take it on your phone. Uh, the last... Uh, 921 I couldn't get on my phone. I had the one before it. But uh, anyway, the bottom line is um, you, this, is, this is a critical te- uh, text, and you really need to, to have that if you're a fire investigator. Yeah, and this edition of uh, Kirk 8 is superb over the other ones because of the amount of um, uh, expertise that went into uh, uh, the, putting together a comprehensive index. Uh, I was blown away by uh, uh, by the efforts that the publisher made. Uh, Pearson Brady did a wonderful job on the index. So, um, and that's something that, for example, that NFPA 921 does not have is a comprehensive index in comparison to what uh, Kirk 8 has. Yeah, so that's and that's true. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, if you search uh, 921, you have to you have to really search to find the interviewing portions. Um, you know, I teach the expert witness uh, testimony course for the International Association of Arson Investigators and have for a number of years. And and I want to tell you, uh, even as a primary facilitator, I'm learning more and more uh, all the time from the continuing research. But I'm also confronting the students uh, to make sure that they understand it. So I think that this book uh, will help them uh, be better um, better students, but also be help, uh, better uh, test, uh, testifying in court. Right. Um, and that's, that's what you're after, isn't it? Yeah. One of the changes that we made to the edition was, the, uh, was an exhaustive inclusion of the Balanchia matrix, the Balanchia mm-hmm. ignition matrix. Right. And we thought that that's uh, matrices are finally coming to NFPA 921. We have the uh, Cox uh, origin matrices in there, uh, but uh, Balanchia, uh, Lou Balanchia, who is the developer of it, uh, his matrix is, 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 hasn't appeared yet in 921, but it does appear uh, in, the, in the, uh, this edition and the previous edition of Kirk's. Yeah, he's been on my show, and also I've been using it ever since he first presented it in uh, at the IAAIITC 
um, it's a wonderful uh, way to to uh, to pre- uh, prepare and and uh, challenge uh, hypotheses. So we're almost cl- we're close to to the break, uh, Doctor. We uh, we would like you to think about while we're on the break uh, a wonderful case that you would like to that you worked that you would like to tell us about that you think was a good success and how and how uh, uh, and I know you also do um, you also have uh, participated in uh, and done um, computer fire fire modeling which is something that a lot of uh, fire investigators do not ha- have the expertise to do, but they don't even understand it very well. So if we'll, when we come back from the break, which will be momentarily, um, then I'd like you to think about the, an interesting case and also just just discuss for a couple minutes uh, uh, computer fire modeling. Would that be okay with you? That'd be perfect. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. So what we're going to do is we're going to go a little bit early to break, uh, so we'll go um, to uh, a break now. And so when you come back, come back to Speaking of Fire. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at fcifire.com or call 913-262-5200. FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show... Please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Doctor, before we went to break, we asked you to think about a case uh, interesting case, and we'd love to hear it. Well, one of the one of the most interesting cases I worked had to deal with the uh, uh, the deaths of uh, three firefighters 
that had gone on a, a routine call, and they were um, basically uh, went into a, a townhouse structure, and as they were descending down through uh, the structure to try to determine where the area of origin of, of the fire was, they ended up running out of uh, out of air from their uh, uh, from their tanks uh, that they were covering their SCBAs. Uh, one of them uh, ended up totally running out and aspirated into his face mask. The other two started uh, started sharing the the last remaining tank by doing buddy breathing back and forth uh, and sharing the uh, sharing the face mask. Um, the uh, the fire chief, who uh, uh, later, after his retirement, uh, came to me and said he was very concerned because a um, an independent investigation uh, done by um, uh, done by the uh, U.S. Fire uh, Academy uh, estimated the time to incapacitation of the firefighters was up to 40 minutes. And he was very concerned by saying that uh, I could have rescued these three firefighters, and we had a chance. In fact, when they found them, uh, they were all three were dead. They were in a basically an arm's length uh, from a uh, from an exit. Oh. Um, so he was very concerned. He had a lot of what we call psychological baggage that he was carrying from this, and he asked me to um, reconstruct what happened. So we used uh, computer fire modeling. And uh, modeling is used for testing hypotheses, and this was a perfect case to demonstrate that capability. What we mm-hmm. did was we reconstructed the uh, the townhouse, uh, basically put what we thought the heat release rate to be, and and used the model to predict the carbon monoxide levels uh, within the structure. And from that, uh, we used uh, an equation which now appears in NFPA 921. Under the uh, on the issues of tenability, is, is called the Stewart equation, which is an algebraic relationship that uh, that predicts time to incapacitation. And all you need to know is the carboxyhemoglobin of the victim, uh, the CO intake, and what we call the respiratory minute volume, how much they were breathing at the time, and you can get a pretty good estimate uh, for the time to incapacitation. That is the time to where an individual can no longer uh, move about or, or recognize the fact that they need to escape. Uh, and in this case, we went ahead, ran the model, and it, we called it the Rip Van Winkle case because the model was one of the earlier versions of the NIST fire dynamic simulator. It took close to three months to run this model. And uh, at, the end of the, uh, at the end of the time that we ran it, we, we used that information to figure out what the exposure level was of the firefighters, and we figured it was about 3,600 parts per million. When we ran it through the equation, it predicted the time to incapacitation was less than six minutes. Oh, um, and so um, there wasn't a 40-minute window there. There was a less than six-minute window to, uh, to actually uh, rescue these firefighters. And of course, this is before the uh, the mandatory use of past devices, uh, which would have indicated that they uh, that they had succumbed or at least were rendered motionless uh, for that. Uh, I went back and and reported this back to the uh, to the retired fire chief, and it didn't help him with his psychological baggage, but it just basically still 
through that spiral end of how could we have prevented these deaths. And it all came down to the use of computer fire modeling, not to determine, uh, and modeling is not used to determine area of origin, but it's, it's best used to determine uh, and assess different hypotheses of what could have happened or what may have happened in a fire. So this is probably the, uh, the case that uh, most sticks with me. And we actually got from this a, uh, an American Academy of Forensic Science uh, um, uh, article, a peer-reviewed article published uh, regarding that in the Journal of Forensic Science. So this was done, uh, the publication was back in 2004, and it's the first uh, of, of many uh, articles to show that there is a forensic engineering value for the use of computer fire modeling. And Sirson, we we know that there's there's firefighters out there, fire investigators, fire departments that don't have access. Who can they turn to when when they need that type of assistance? Um, the best place to go, and this is what I've recommended in the past, is to reach out to the local um, the local chapter of the Society of Fire Protection Engineers, and. Uh, uh, and there's a growing numbers of uh, FPEs, as we call them, that get involved in forensic investigations. And in one case that I'm aware of, uh, one firm spent uh, quite a bit of time looking at a line of duty death investigation and helping the uh, uh, a state training academy uh, assess and go through the scenarios in which they had a line of duty death during a during a training activity. So uh, the Society of Fire Protection Engineers, uh, local chapters, are usually more than gracious to, uh, to lend assistance, especially some of the, uh, the high-level uh, consulting firms that are there. So that's usually the best place to, to take a look at uh, for that. And there have been cases in which, uh, uh, on gratis, that I've, uh, I've assisted uh, 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 my agencies and other agencies in, in running computer models to, to basically more kick the tires of, of determining uh, hypotheses and testing them uh, backwards and forwards uh, and, and help, them, uh, help them work through it. Also, for tenability, smoke uh, activation of uh, sm- uh, smoke alarms, that's become a very, uh, a very important area where uh, the accuracy of the, of the computer fire models have increased. Uh, so, uh, and it also gives you a good time stamp uh, if you're doing a timeline, uh, especially when you have uh, a recorded activation times uh, for these uh, smoke alarms. And I'll, I want to say something, too, to the fire investigators out here that I've actually heard when, when they come across the objections to things like this. Yes, it's true. Uh, what you put in is what comes out, and, and it you need to get the proper information. However, this technology has evolved. It's not, you know, it's it's not like it was 20 years ago, 15 years ago. It actually has evolved and it these programs can actually recognize discrepancies. That's exactly right. And 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 doctor, you, uh, well, it took 3 months, uh, you said at that time, uh, and that was uh, how many computers working on it for how long every day? Uh, that was one um, 46 uh, computer sitting on, on a desk that we made sure was plugged into an UPS. We didn't want to take any chances. But mm-hmm. now that same model could be run uh, probably in uh, four hours on some mm-hmm. of the new uh, high-performance computers that we have. 
Yes, I knew. I knew that was uh, it. Had, it had increased uh, in uh, in or shortened the time and increased in the volume that any computer can do. It's uh, it's technology at its finest. Um, now, uh, I, because I want to follow up on this, uh, what was the ultimately what? Uh, these firefighters died in in a and every time a firefighter rolls every time there's a call these firefighters are risking their lives and same way with police when they answer a call they're risking their lives so there's no such thing as a victimless uh, uh crime uh when you set a fire an arson fire or they could get killed on the way by some pickup truck hitting them or they could have a heart attack so just remember that ladies and gentlemen but I wanted to find out what happened in that fire they they gave their lives uh, what what caused the fire and and where was it located do you remember um, uh, the allegation in this case was that it was an intentionally set fire in the basement of that structure so uh, it was ruled at that time to be a uh, an arson uh, an arson case um, but the, the situation is is that not only, uh, you know, you brought up a good point, not only are the uh, public safety personnel uh, subject to, uh, to harm, but there's also now increasing studies showing that uh, fire investigators uh, have been, especially with the, with the extreme um, uh, carcinogens that are produced by, uh, by smoke and byproducts of combustion, that the that the cancer rates are starting to uh, be detected in fire investigators, so it be, it's now become uh, very important to uh, to ensure that uh, that they have that proper HAZWOPER training, the briefings, as well as the the proper personal protective equipment uh, when they're processing fire scenes. And I remember uh, uh, early in my career uh, before we had dogs that uh, it w- wasn't uh, un- unpopular to get down on your hands and knees and sniff the carpeting. And, uh, and, and with the, with now with the, uh, the influx of uh, clandestine drug labs, these are things you would never think about doing at this point here. But I'm very shocked. I continue to read these studies uh, as they evolve. And they're anecdotal now, but I believe to be there will be a trend developing regarding uh, uh, the, uh, the increase uh, at risk of cancer to fire investigators which is going to become uh, uh, one of these emerging uh, issues in our field. Right. I'm sure that's correct. And I don't understand why I'm still here after these uh, 46 years now. Um, And what I believe in dogs, too. I believe that um, the accelerant detection canines are, are extremely valuable to us. And, um, and I, and I, I remember, David, you'll remember it. We used to take a handful of debris Stick it up to your nose, smell it, and say, "Hey, look at this! What do you think?" <laughs> yeah, to, to your, that's exactly right. And you would not think of doing that now in a in a no. uh, in a meth lab or any other type of clandestine drug laboratory. No, I actually waited around in pretty little colors uh, <laughs> before EPA came in. And oh, threw us all out back in the '90s. Yeah, absolutely. And and the soles of my boots came off. It was great. Yeah. That was years ago. Now there's another <laughs> this yeah. year that I had the same thing occur. So you don't know what chemicals you're you're stepping in. Yeah, it's right. not uncommon now on major scenes, uh, major large losses, uh, to be greeted by uh, a state or a federal OSHA inspector, and uh, and, yes. uh, and you better be sure that you have all your 
proper personal protective equipment, including uh, eyewear and gloves and boots uh, and turn-on gear on. That's right. That's yeah. right. Tyvex, all kinds of good stuff. Donna, you want to tell them the story about your standing on the on a tri- pickup truck and. Oh geez, we all have those stories, David. You know, I've I've fallen off of trucks. I knocked myself silly because my fire boots were too big. Yeah. So these are like you just said, the protective equipment back in in the eighties and nineties. We were learning. Uh, about these things and had accidents and I'm sure it explains a lot of my behavior now (laughs) (laughs) possibly Um, so uh, and in Kirk's 8 um, you go through uh, well actually uh, you've got you've got some stuff in there about safety don't you well in fact uh, that's primary in fact if you look at the uh, job performance requirements uh, Uh one of the first JPRs is to make sure that the scene is safe, is to do a fire scene <laughs> uh, safety assessment uh, before even entering to a scene. So it, uh, uh, that's one of the JPRs that we uh, that we go over and uh, and 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 try to reassure the investigator that they need to perform that, as well as document uh, the document what the uh, precautions were made based on the scene that they that they uh, entered. Yeah, we're uh, well. I'm lucky enough to have been able to to see um, see these things first, but I, naturally I have to ask questions that sound uh, for the general public. So it sounds like I'm totally un, unaware of everything. But actually, I try to leave that to Donna. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, I'm doing what? it this time. What? Yeah. Well, okay. So, uh, Doctor, you've got um, we've got about ten minutes left. What What are your insights and predictions as to the emerging issues, you know, that are coming up in, uh, in for fire and police investigators uh, in in the next like decade or so. Yeah, the next day, I, uh, every day that I uh, that, that I uh, um, uh, read reports uh, or assist uh, state or local agencies, I'm really concerned about uh, their closer adherence to the guidelines and standards. That is the the 28 JPRs. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be uh, one of these basically grade cards that we're going to be expected to, uh, uh, to, to stand up to, especially in courtroom testimony or expert testimony, that the fact that you, that you covered those, and if you didn't, that you documented the reason why. But there are still some powerful tools out there for the, for the public sector and fire investigators. The, uh, the arson immunity statutes uh, still exist, and, uh, and they're underutilized. Uh, that is the ability to, uh, with, a, with a, uh, a suspected arson loss, that uh, in lieu of having a subpoena, uh, the arson immunity statutes allow for you to uh, request the valuable uh, documentary evidence from the, uh, from the insurance companies. Um, expert reports, uh, again, are going to be coming about, and there's an upcoming meeting of NFPA 901, uh, which I'm the uh, chairperson of, uh, the Fire Reporting Committee, and we're discussing whether or not that we need to come up with a, a national standard for best practices for preparing uh, expert reports. Uh, oh, that foliation. would be terrific. That would be terrific. Go yeah, ahead. and uh, we have a meeting coming up in, uh, in March. Uh, of the committee and uh, make sure they get the information out there. We're having conference calls right now about that. Um, Spoliation, the issue about what evidence to take and what not to take, especially if you're in the public sector. 
and uh, what responsibilities do you have to not only to identify but to secure and retain evidence, especially in cases where uh, multiple deaths or injuries are involved and the uh, and the owners of the property uh, may not be able to uh, to, to safeguard or, or, or to protect that type of evidence. Uh, ethics is uh, a main area, and uh, I was impressed by the uh, Florida IWI chapter came to me uh, at one of the presentations and says, can you give us an hour on ethics? So I can see that now coming as potentially a mandatory uh, requirement in all of the fire investigation seminars that we may have. I hope so. Uh, yeah, and uh, the last area is, is where I see is the is some of these undetected areas uh, where arson cases may be hiding, is in the area of vehicle fires, and uh, uh, vehicle fires, especially uh, in, in the situations where where uh, public fire investigation units are not um, are not investigating those uh, motor vehicles. Uh, are basically missing out on a, on a lot of issues that may come about, especially in the detection of arson. Um, also, with hybrid uh, electric vehicles, uh, uh, that is an area that uh, that is of grave concern, especially in in, uh, in the safety issues involved in not only extinguishing but also investigating a hybrid electric vehicle. Yeah, fuel uh, fuel cells, all kinds of. Uh, uh, Innovation that has come to pass that's going to affect the investigation of these things. I want to tell you, I'm really glad that you're at the forefront of this because not only did I attend uh, your uh, expert uh, expert report writing class when we were in Washington, you were nice enough to to let me um, to participate. But um, also, uh, there is there's an area uh, that really needs uh, work: uh, fire investigation reports. Secondly, um, and I heard you say ethics, and when I was president of the International, I tasked a, a committee to come up with it, and that's what uh, they, their, uh, Terry Don Hewitt and, and Wayne McKenna came up with uh, an ethics uh, um, class, and also now there's one on CFITrainer.net. CFITrainer.net should be um, uh, accessed by every fire investigator in the world um, because it's got such good information on it. Um, but I know that Donna's looking at me, and she wants me to, to, to let her say something to you about Tennessee. Oh, I was going to wait till the end, but I'll go ahead now and uh, just tell you how much I missed this last August being in, in Gatlinburg area, especially in light of what happened there uh, with fire, but also just you guys in general. And, and uh, without getting into too much detail, I also miss the uh, the social aspect of Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, David, you're a big you're you're a big proponent of the Tennessee chapter of the International Association of Arson Investigators, and you're you're there every year, aren't you? I'm there in the audience, and occasionally, uh, about once every five years, uh, a speaker doesn't show, and they'll uh, they'll ask me from the back of the audience says. Uh, can you fill in and uh, and transparently, basically they think it's on the part of the agenda. I say, what do you want to hear about? And, uh, right. So I'll have I'll have about ten presentations ready to go, and somebody will just you know shout it out, and we'll go through um, uh, an hour and a half presentation on whatever the uh, emerging issues are that they want to hear about. So it, it's nice to sit in the back, but occasionally uh, uh, occasionally you're drafted. Uh, uh, when uh, when inadvertently a speaker can't show or, or needs to be called away. 
And did they get rid of, of our favorite Ruby Tuesdays out there? I'm so disappointed. It it burned down. Is that what happened to it? <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I didn't work that. I'm doing all these commercial kitchen fires all over the country, and I didn't get that one. What, what the heck? Well, wait a minute. When You know, I thought about Tennessee earlier when you were talking about uh, the word incapacity. Okay? And I know that there are certain people that become incapacitated at those uh, seminars due to that, um, that uh, clear liquid that uh, Tennessee has uh, on occasion. Yeah, the water there is awful. It's just like going to some of the third world countries. It really is. Well, and that's all we're going to say about that. <laughs> well, sometimes we have to counteract it by putting like cherries or other uh, <laughs> or, or pears or peaches in, the, in there just to soak it up. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, that's healthful. I mean, because yeah. it's, you know, it's like right. healthy, don't you think? The, I mean, fruit and, you know, it's... it's no, all kidding aside, uh, Tennessee is one of my favorite chapters because of the attendance, because the majority of the chapter not only are chapter members, but they're members of the international themselves. They utilize CFI Trainer and they have great speakers and people that are icons in our industry like Dr. Ikov. Exactly. Well, I was... I was looking back as a PS, I was looking back through my notes, and the first Tennessee chapter meeting I attended was in uh, 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 1976, and myself and John Lentini co-hosted the presentations for the chapter meeting, and so uh, that's how far back I go. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, well, uh, I'm hoping that you, you know that Donna became... um, membership chairman for the International Association of Arson Investigators this year. And so I'm hoping that you're, you're thinking, uh, well, it's been three years ago that she got appointed to that. So, But uh, I'm hoping that you're, you're urging people when you're out there speaking to join uh, the local chapters and the international too. Are you not? Well, I am not only that, but I've tried to convince the CFI trainer folks that uh, every time that you um, – uh, successfully pass one of the courses that when you print out your certificate that there's a question say are you an IAAI member and if you're not that it also prints out a, an application <laughs> that <laughs> that's a be, great idea that's a great idea yeah. well now you've, you've just said that to the, to the membership chair so that'll and that makes you membership chair congratulations <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, well, doctor, uh, we're we're down to our last few minutes, and and would you is there anything that that you would like to mention before we close as a show? It's something that we haven't covered. No, I just, I I feel that we've uh, we've adequately addressed everything, and like I said, I would encourage uh, individuals who read Kirk's fire investigation, Kirk eight. That if they see something that uh, that they need clarified, that that they have a better photo or a better scenario that they please contact us and we'll be more than glad to uh, to try to include it in the uh, in the ninth edition uh, that should be around uh, and we'll start writing uh, next week so well, that's, thank you that's, thank that's you for cool. all the contributions especially Michael yourself and uh, and your organization it, yeah. we, we couldn't we couldn't have done it without you well, I also want to put out that. there that uh, we have on our LinkedIn we have linked to Amazon. Uh, the social media I posted yesterday links to Amazon to purchase the hard, the hardcover copy, and also the ebook. 
for Kirk's Fire Investigation. Yeah, I'm going to be asking fire investigators throughout the country when I go to these joint exams if they know about the book, if they've got it on their their Kindle or they have it on their phone uh, because it's it's that valuable work. Doctor, there's uh, you have contributed mightily uh, to the... Um, the, the science of uh, fire investigation and, uh, yeah. and the professionalism, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk about uh, couldn't do it without you. I, I think it's also wonderful that you uh, acknowledged uh, Vito uh, Barbascus. Um, I think it's, it's wonderful that you've done that. Uh, I certainly, uh, I, I know that he would consider that an honor. And thank you for not making Kirk's fire investigation uh, the same length as the ignition handbook. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and the same poundage. <laughs> poundage. Yes. Uh, it will give you the ignition temperatures of a cat's whisker. Uh, and so uh, there you are. And uh, doctor, it um, will be in touch. Uh, can, I would hope to have you uh, uh, back again on a future show. Thank you. Would you thank agree? You Th- thank you, Donald. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, and you have a good uh, rest of the week and, and uh, year. Um, also, uh, coming up next week, we've, we've got, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to tell you who's coming up next week because we've got two different people that are I haven't confirmed yet. And so we're going to, one's an engineer and one's a, 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 a task force uh, member, uh, and we're trying to get them done. So when you come back and come back next week, please come back to Speaking of Fire. Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlackman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.